John chapter 21, if you've got your Bible. If you have your device, we use the ESV version. You can go to the U version, click on ESV, go to John 21. I'm going to pick up with verse 1. It says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Let's just pause right there. So this is what's happening right now to give us a picture. Peter's going back to his old job. All right. It's like how a lot of us feel when we don't know what to do. So we do what we know how to do. Right. Peter goes fishing. He takes six of his closest buddies. And just so we know, these are dudes who understood the place Peter was in. They understood the confusion and the shock of everything that had just happened to Jesus. They were there. They were with him. Peter had friends. He had community. He had people to walk beside him when life had taken some, to him at least, unexpectedly dark turns that offered no immediate answers. So this is the place that Peter and his buddies found themselves in. And guess what? They had each other to walk through it with them. And you know what Peter was experiencing in this moment, in these few short verses? You know what he was experiencing? The church. That's what Peter experienced. Men that walked beside him through grief and through pain. And what was going on here was a foretaste of the church that Jesus would start planting and building, like in 10 minutes after this, with Peter. But right now, brother, the nets are empty. Nothing's working. And there's no one here who can't, can't relate to those, those times when all your best efforts just absolutely come up short, come up empty, and they just produce nothing. We can relate to what Peter's going on, with what's going on with Peter right now, the lostness, the confusion, the wall. That's right in front of him that he can't see through and he can't see over. It's all night. It's all night and no fish, man. You know what that means? That means no fish sticks. That means no fish sandwiches with tartar sauce for them. That means nothing for these brothers. But I think one of the things that we need to understand as we look into this passage in all of Scripture is that it's no accident that the nets are empty for Pete and the boys. It's a divinely unsuccessful fishing trip going on. And here's the thing. As much as we have a hard time giving God glory for our success, you know what's strange? We have an even harder time giving him glory in our failures that he sets up for us and that he brings us through. But look at what happens. Let's pick up in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. 
And that disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way, which is John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. I was going to say a hundred years off, but that would have been a little inaccurate. So here's the sitch. Peter, Jesus arrives at the shore. The disciples don't recognize him. And he says, children, do you have any fish? And you know what I like about that? What I like about that is it's, it's a gentle reminder to us of the tenderness of his relationship to these men. That's what I like about that phrase. He cared not only about their souls, but also about their sustenance. He called them to be fishers of men originally. Remember when Jesus first pulled these fishermen out of the water? He said, I want you to be fishers of men, not just fishers of fish. But he knew the necessity that they would need to be fishers of fish sometimes too. And and I just, man, you got to love their reply. Children, have you got any fish? No. I mean, you just got to laugh at that. I mean, that's just just kind of funny. I mean, I probably would have gone, you know, not yet. Can you give me a minute here? I think I would have rolled that way with it, the irritation of not having any fish. But it had been all night, and these dudes are dejected. They're dejected. And it's not really because the fish weren't biting. They had other things going on in their lives that caused them to answer that way. So Jesus tells them, he said, hey, boys, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and boom, the fish come gleefully swimming into the net. Smiley faces, the whole deal, right? Swedish fish. And it's right at that moment that John goes, hey, Peter, look. Hey, look. That's not Long John Silver standing there on the shore. It's the Lord, right? And here's why I love Peter. Here's why I love the heart of Peter. Because this dude doesn't even hesitate. I mean, after everything that's happened in his life... And we don't have time to go through the backstory of all just the colossal mistakes and blunders this guy's made. But after everything that's happened, he just needs to get into the presence of Jesus. And I like that about him. One of the characteristics of believers is that even when we've sinned grievously against the Lord, Jesus is always inviting us. He's always drawing us back. Even though... We've sinned grievously. And you know what? We always have sinned grievously against him. And like everything you read about Peter, it's just one awkward party after another with this brother. Dude is always blurting out insanely ridiculous things. He's chopping people's ears off, man. And here he is now. Instead of row, row, rowing back to shore with the fellas, Peter, wait for it, throws on his clothes, dives into the water, And Michael Phelps his way back to the shore while leaving the disciples to haul in the catch. Right? Nice guy. Considerate guy, our boy Peter right there. Thanks, Pete. And you know what's funny is that everybody has a friend or a family. You guys are going to spend time today, right? With friends and family members that are just like that today. Like, it's it's on for some of you right now. It's happening. I mean, just a lovable, laughable, loose cannon of a man. That's why I love Peter. Let's pick up with verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, 
bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad, aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net wasn't torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's stop there for a second. You know what I love about this is this is one of the most moving and beautiful portraits we see of Jesus to me in all of the Bible. I mean, look what we have here. Do you, do, you get the, do you get the sense of what's going on here? We have the creator of the universe starting a fire and cooking breakfast. Can you let that sink in. Can you let that sink in for like one second? The creator of the universe cooking breakfast for some men. I mean, there was a lot that needed to be discussed at that time. There were a lot of unanswered questions for these brothers. But right now, Jesus knew they were tired. Jesus knew they were hungry. Jesus knew they needed to eat. He knew they needed to regain their strength. He knew they needed to rest their tired bones and their minds. He knew that about them. He cooks them breakfast. We don't want to miss the character and the nature of God in this moment. And we think God only cares about the part of us that is serving him, right? God just wants me to serve him. He wants me to pray. He wants me to read his word. He wants me to tithe, especially. But God cares about us holistically, doesn't he? He cares about us in our entirety because he made us entirely. Jesus brought Peter back to shore, didn't he? Back to himself. Back to the innermost longing of Peter's heart, but also to give Peter what he needed in the moment physically to carry and continue on. It's not like Peter had a short memory. He remembered what he did. I mean, this is a brother who felt the shame welling up inside him as he no doubt was walking up and approaching Jesus. But for Peter... It was better to face Jesus in his sin than to run from the face of Jesus in his sin. That's what happened to Judas. But Peter knew Jesus. And Judas never knew Jesus. And then as Peter inches closer to that charcoal fire, he would no doubt remember what happened the last time he stood around a fire just a few days earlier in the courtyard where he denied knowing Jesus, no doubt that memory would have come flooding into him. But this time it was different. Jesus invites him to come and eat with him. And it says that they all knew that it was the Lord. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep, my people hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You know what that means for us? It means people who know Jesus can expect Jesus to speak to them and have the assurance that when he does, they'll know it's Jesus. The disciples knew it was him. 
There was no questioning his identity as Jesus took the bread and fish and gave it to them, no doubt recalling the moment when he had fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves and a few fish. No doubt recalling the moment just a few days earlier when he broke bread with them in the upper room on the night before his death and said, do this in remembrance of me. Do you see what Jesus was doing? Do you see how he was coming alongside of them? Do you see how he was intervening in not only their physicalness, but into their heart, into their soul, into the very life blood that they needed to continue the work that he was getting ready to send them out to do? Do you see the caringness of Jesus in this? Do you see that? I mean, I can't read this without wondering how much we slander God in our minds, how much we think he doesn't care. How much we think he forgets that he isn't so much concerned with our needs. As if the one who provided our greatest need on the cross would betray his own character by not providing for our lesser needs. It's just absurdity. Jesus provided food. He provided himself. And here he provides proof to his disciples for a third time that he'd been raised from the dead. And then now comes the time for him to confront Peter. Not to retaliate, as we're going to see here, but to restore. Let's pick up in verse 15. It says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. In verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep, Pete. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is, he said, to show by what kind of death He was to glorify God. Tradition has Peter being crucified. Some traditions have him even hanging upside down as he was crucified because he would not be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. And after saying this, end of verse 19, he said to him, follow me. So reflecting the three times that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus asks Peter. He puts it back to him three times. If he loves him, and each time Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And each time Jesus replies by saying, feed my sheep then, tend my sheep. And then by the time Jesus asks him a third time, Peter becomes grieved. Why does he become grieved? Does he sound irritable to to you there? He's not irritable. He becomes grieved because conviction, which is what he's experiencing right now from Jesus, is heavy. It's heavy. It's weighty. Peter's sin was weighing him down. 
And that's what sin is, isn't it? Our sin is a weight that needs to be lifted. But we have to notice what's happening here. Again, go back to the character and the nature of Jesus here. Notice what's happening. Jesus isn't punishing Peter. The punitive damages for Peter's sin were paid for by Jesus on the cross days ago. And his rising from the grave meant that Peter's repentance is what led to restoration. You remember one of the other gospels that said after he denied Jesus, Jesus was walking through the courtyard and he meets Peter's eyes. Peter sees the eyes of Jesus and he runs away and he weeps bitterly. And that's a repentant brother. He knew what he had done. He knew what his sin and sin was. He knew that he had to come to Jesus. He knew he needed forgiveness. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. And this is important for us because these are the things that we fall into. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know what, Pete? We're coming off a bad run here. So why don't you just get out there and prove your love to me by tending my sheep? Now, he didn't say that to Peter. But we think God is like that, don't we? We act like God is the old schoolmaster, right? Who wants to whip us and work us. In reality... It was Christ's work on the cross that took the punishment for our sin so that we could love him with our entire lives and serve him from the depths of that love. That's the gospel. What Peter was experiencing right here in this moment was the power of the cross, was the power of the gospel. The old French uh, theologian John Calvin said, the beginning of love is the grace of Christ. That's what Peter's experiencing right here. Because you know where Pete's at? I'm going to be honest with you. You know where Pete's at right now? He's at where we're at. I mean, it was a few days from Easter for him. It's been a couple thousand years for us. But we are all in the aftermath of Easter right now. It will forever be the aftermath of Easter for us. All right? The place we see Peter is the place that we find ourselves. And here's three things that we learn when we look at this about the risen Christ in our lives in the way that he was in the life of Peter and his disciples. Number one, the risen Jesus pursues us to the end. I mean, look what happens here. You guys, are you guys tracking with this story? Jesus rises from the grave. He meets his friends on the seashore. He pursues them to the end. And we just think God must be too busy to be involved. You know, our lives aren't important enough. How could he allow himself to engage with little old us, right? After all, he's God. But death and his resurrection... Man, they just give us the opposite picture, don't they? They don't give us that picture at all. God sends his son. He crushes his son. He raises his son. He brings his son home as our eternal advocate, which is what happens after this story. This doesn't mean it's all about you. Right, let me clear that up, all right? This doesn't mean it's all about you. It means it's all about Jesus who gave and gives all of himself to you. I mean, have you ever had the impression 
of someone that was wrong? Have you ever had a wrong impression of somebody? I do it about nine times a day on average. The Bible tells us that before God saves us, we all have the wrong impression of God. And then after we know Jesus, our impression of him changes because we are being changed to be more like him. And it's because he pursues us to the end. He relentlessly and tirelessly pursues us because he's not us. He's God. And it's glorious. The risen Jesus pursues us to the end. Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, this is David. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. That's what he says right here. He says, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You know it. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. And this is how he finishes it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I feel like such knowledge is kind of too terrifying for me, if I'm going to be honest. And then he says this, it is high. This knowledge is high. He said, I can't attain it. Do you see the level and the depth of which God reaches in as we are running away like Jonah? It's astounding. It's the love, grace, character, and nature of Christ. He pursues us to the end too. The risen Jesus provides for all of our needs. He pursues us to the end. He provides for all our needs. It's no small thing that the creator of the universe made breakfast for his friends. I mean, man, we, we need breakfast, right? I mean, we need breakfast. I, I need breakfast right now. I'm not going to lie to you about that. I started thinking maple nut donuts halfway through this sermon. And don't panic, I'm over halfway through this sermon. There's not a need that you have right now that you can credit anyone other than God for meeting. And that should give you confidence, assurance, and hope. Jesus provides your needs so that, listen to me, Jesus provides for your needs so that you actually stay needy. Isn't that crazy? Jesus provides for your needs so that you actually stay needy for his provision. And Peter needed those fish, man. He needed those fish sandwiches. Let's just be honest about that. He needed that forgiveness. He needed the love of Jesus. He was a needy dude. So are you. Oh, they're so needy. You know, we rag on people about that. I don't know. I have a hard time like dealing with them. They're so needy. So are you. The fact that you call out other people's neediness is just proof of how needy you are because you don't see your own, brother. You are needy. I am needy. We are needy. It's a glorious thing to wrap your head around. I'm a needy dude preaching to needy dudes. And women, obviously. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans about the nature of God's love, this is what he said in Romans 8. He said, Who then shall we say 
to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him? That's what he said. Graciously give us all things. Jesus provides for all of our needs, first and foremost, by Jesus Christ. All the other stuff is gravy. And he gives us some of that too. What about the nature and character of God in that? Three, the risen Jesus calls us to love him. So Jesus pursues us to the end. Guys, he provides for our needs and he calls us to love him. Jesus calls you to love him before he calls you to live for him. Got to get that order right, don't we? He's jealous for your love. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to obey him. He wants you to serve him. Yes, but he wants your hearts before he uses your hands. I mean, how would you answer Jesus if he came today, if he sat down with you today and he asked, do you love me? How would you answer? You notice what he, what, he, what he wouldn't ask, what he didn't ask Peter. He doesn't ask, will you ever fail me again? That'd be like asking a politician if they're ever going to lie again. You ask a stupid question. All Jesus wanted was Peter's heart. You notice that? All Jesus wanted was Peter's heart. All Jesus wants are our hearts. The cross. We learned on Good Friday, the cross makes it possible for restored hearts. And it's the resurrection that makes it possible for rejoicing hearts that go out now and can serve and can obey God because our hearts are right with him and are motivated to show our love to him by serving for him. Now we got to get the balance right. So here's a question as we close it up. Are you like Peter? There's a lot of ways we don't want to be like Peter. But are you like Peter? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Those are two different questions. I didn't say, do you know who Jesus is? I said, do you know him and then love him like Peter? Here's another way to put it. Would you have recognized Jesus on the shore when he walked up? I mean, let me just be real with you right now. When Jesus walked ashore and told you to cast a net on the right side and they all came swimming in, would you have looked over at him like John and said, that's Jesus, I know him. I know him. Yeah, you guys get the elf reference with that, thank you. Do you know that right now? Do you know Jesus right now? Because let me just say this. There's no other question in your life that needs to be answered but whether you know Jesus. In fact, I'll go so far to say that everything in your life that led you to this moment on March 27th, 2016, I hope I got the date right, was a divine act of providence on the part of God so that I would ask you that question. And that it would stir something in your heart. Not because of me. I'm just a guy that talks real loud. 
It's because of what Jesus has said and what he's done and what he's doing in your heart right now. Do you need to be restored like Peter so that you might answer the call to follow Jesus once again? Is that just where you're at? You know Jesus, but you need to be restored like Peter. What better Easter than to say, Lord, man, I've just been denying you for far too long. Forgive me, restore me, supply my every need. Because the result of resurrection is relationship with God. Without Jesus, there's no relationship with God. Jesus gave Peter what Peter needed. And you realize when Peter came back to the shore, his needs were met, weren't they? He had Jesus and he had everything he needed to then follow Jesus. And that's because Jesus feels that longing. He feels that gap. He feels that ache. He feels that heartache that we have to be loved and to be forgiven. Because at the end of the day, you are all following somebody or someone right now. And none of you are free. None of you are free. None of y'all are free. You're all following. You're followers. Oh, Ronnie, I was a leader in school. Yeah, you're a follower. You're following the greatest affection that your heart is pulling you to go after and follow. That is happening right now as I speak. We follow the thing or person we believe will fill our longing to be loved and forgiven. It will be Jesus or it will be something else. It will be someone else. We make no mistake, brothers and sisters, we are followers today. Nobody's neutral. We were created to worship, and worship is the default mechanism of your heart and my heart. Man, your strings are being pulled, brothers. By who? By what? In John 6, after a large group of disciples decided to leave Jesus, he had a large crew with him. Some of them decided to leave after some of the sayings and some of the the things Jesus was asking them to give their life to became too much for some of them. He asked the 12 disciples he had chosen, of which Peter was one, he asked them this. He said, do you want to go away as well? He just threw it out there. He said, do you want to go away? Simon Peter answered him and said this, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do you see what happened with Peter at some point in his life? He knew that he couldn't be, he couldn't continue to follow his whims and his fleshly desires. He knew that at some point it was either going to be himself or it was going to be Jesus. And he chose Jesus. And so, for some of you, if you know Jesus, and he just might be calling you to restoration, like Peter. That's what he might be calling you today on Easter. To restore your life, to bring it back, to stop this dullness, to pull you back from some of the idols that you've been chasing. And for some of you that don't know him, he's calling you to repentance. So that he can redeem you. So for for us today, we're we're in two camps. We're being called to restoration or we're being called to repentance, which leads to redemption. Jesus is calling out to you, quite literally 
calling out to you. Like Peter, he's calling you back to shore. He's calling you back to the place where he's waiting to fill your longing to be loved and forgiven. Romans 10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Then he says this crazy, crazy thing. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. You know what that does? He just equalized us. We're all the same. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your upbringing was. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter where you're going. He says there is no distinction. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And then he says this, and this is the heart-breaking, beautiful, glorious truth that is the result of the risen Jesus for us today. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. I can't add anything more to that, so I'm going to pray. Lord, those are words that absolutely pierce our hearts. We think about how you treated Peter and his disciples. We think of the way that you cared for them, the way that you loved them, the way that every intricate detail as part of their emotions, as part of the way that you had designed them, as part of the different ways that you had gifted them, all the different ways that they were feeling on the heels of something they were grappling with to understand. And you made them breakfast And not only that, but you came to them to show them how much you cared, how much you provided, how much you pursued, and how much you were calling them to love you so that they could go and follow you and change the world with the good news of the gospel. Lord, we see this, and Lord, we, we ache, we long for that kind of love and forgiveness in our lives. And you're right there, and you are offering that to us. And for some of us, that's a dramatic thing because we are crushed right now by life. And for some of us, man, there's a wall in front of us, and we're pushing against it. And there's a stubbornness, and there's an unwillingness to bend. Yeah, we feel that longing. We want to be loved. We want to be forgiven, but we want to do it on our own terms. And you come to us and you say, I've done it in the only way that it can ever be provided for you. And so, Lord, all these different hearts, all these different minds that exist in this room today on Easter Sunday, Lord, we pray that your spirit would humble us. We pray that your spirit would cause us to bow before you in repentance, to confess our sins, 
to see you for being who you are, for being so loving, so forgiving, so eager to eat with us. Lord, help us to see that. If we need to know you for the very first time, help us to come before you very simply and humbly today and say, Lord, I want to know you. I want you to forgive my sins. If we need to be restored, let us say the same words. Lord, it's by the power of the cross that we can know you, we can be known by you, and we can have life abundantly in this life and in the world to come. Lord, we thank you and we love you for the hope that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray it would be ever more real, ever more evident, and ever more lived out in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.